Jesus is that we have to understand what transpired all the way back in the beginning when humanity fell, right? So we went to the book of Genesis and started where it all unfolded. And of course, you remember that God, uh, we talked about Satan because it says that the serpent came into the, the garden. And of course, the serpent is, is that of Satan. And we talked about him, his origin, and, and what led to his fall. And people ask me all the time, well, why didn't God just like wipe Satan out? You know, when he uh, rebelled against God and, and took a third of the angels in re- rebellion with him, why didn't God just speak a word, wipe him out, be done with it? Watch this. Because God wanted to prove to all of his angelic beings, all of his creation, that God could defeat Satan by using a person who is lesser than God if that person will surrender themselves to him. That's us. Okay? So that was Adam and Eve. And so what God did is that he put Adam and Eve in a garden that God provided for them, gave them dominion and authority. And where did he put that garden? He put that garden right in the backyard of Satan. Satan up to that point had dominion and authority over planet earth until God created what was formless and void, put the garden with the goal that Adam and Eve would continue to rule and to reign over that garden. They would, they would take care of the garden. They would have children. And as the population began to grow, that, that garden of Eden would not be limited to a, just a square footage of space, but would eventually cover the entire earth. So Satan knew that he had to get Adam and Eve to rebel against God like he had done. You notice he could not come violently into the garden and demand that they follow him, right? So he came in there as a slithering serpent. Uh, many believe that the serpent perhaps had, um, you know, legs at that time, could walk because, you know, when God get, pronounced the curse, it was cursed to crawl on its belly. Maybe it was already that way. It doesn't really matter. All we do know is there was a tree in that garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God said, you cannot eat of that tree, for on the day that you do, you will surely die. Now, had you and I been in charge of the garden, we would have baby-proofed that tree, child-proofed it, right? That's what we do with our Christmas tree in our house, uh, you know, because we have small grandchildren. I put this big baby gate around it so they cannot get to the tree. And so you would have thought God would have done something like that, but he did not because love, which is the highest virtue of God, which is the highest virtue that you possess, love demands that there must be choice. And with every choice is a reward or a consequence. Right? So if, if I were to, if God were to just make Adam and Eve mind him and not eat of the tree and just do whatever he said, then there, that's not love. That's being a robot. That's being mechanical. If somebody is, says to me, hey, that person's really unloving. Why do you think they're unloving? Because they're so controlling. Right? So God created us in his image, and in that image, he created us out of love because that's who God is. That's the essence of his being, and so we have the freedom to choose. Now, God did not want them to experience what was on the other side of that tree. That's why he told them not to do it. But you know, the day that they ate of that tree, and we're not going to go through the whole message, but there's three things I want you to understand that happened. Immediately, they died in their spirit. When God created them, he created them spirit, soul, and body, just like he created you. The spirit, the Bible says, is where God breathed into them the breath of life or the Holy Spirit of God in Genesis 2. And so they died immediately in their spirit. They, they spiritually died. They were disconnected from God. Now, your cable TV without cable, okay, there's a, there's a disconnect. 
They died progressively in their soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. Remember, they started experiencing things almost immediately, fear and hiding and relational conflict with one another. They're blaming each other, and they're blaming God, and they're blaming for the whole mess that they're in. And ultimately, they died in their bodies. Now, here's what I want you to get. Here's why people need Jesus. Because every human being born into this world is born spiritually dead. You know what dead people do? Nothing. They don't do anything. They can't do anything about their condition, can they? So what do we normally do? Instead of taking people Jesus who's the only one who can breathe into them resurrection life through the power of the Holy Spirit and indwell them with their spirit and take them from spiritual death to spiritual life, we want to give them self-help books. Hey, this will work for you. This will patch you up. Dead people don't need self-help books. They're dead, spiritually dead. If you don't believe me, read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul says, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. And if that weren't bad enough, our soul has been tainted by sin, so we, we struggle in our lives. And uh, our minds don't think correctly. Our emotions are out of control. The will, the part of you that makes decisions, is just um, it's making decisions on the basis of things that are not healthy. In other words, there is brokenness deep within us. And out of that brokenness, we develop coping mechanisms to try to deal with life. And most of those coping mechanisms are really just pathways to self-destruction. And so God, through his Holy Spirit, and ultimately, guess what? My body's going to die. How about yours? You know anybody that lives forever? I don't. And so what Jesus came to do is to reverse all of that, right? He came to bring us spiritual life to bring progressive healing in our souls so that we walk not just in forgiveness but in freedom and ultimately God's going to heal our body and give us a brand new body when this one wears out and dies. And then when God brings that all back together when we enter into heaven, you will be perfect in your spirit, soul, and body. That's salvation. It is something that is past, it is something that is present, and it is something that is future. Now, in our day and time, um, people, you know, we as believers, we as followers of Christ who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and so you kind of get all of that stuff. But now when, you know, God has called us as kingdom citizens to push against the kingdom of darkness because we live in a world that has a dual kingdom. There is the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God's son, right? So Satan's, you know, Satan was defeated by Jesus, but he wasn't destroyed, Right? He's still roaming, he's still doing his thing, but as a believer, he has no dominion or authority over you unless you come into agreement with him and give him that dominion and authority. That's what temptation's all about. All right? So you don't have to give in to temptation, but we will choose to if we are going to give him, you know, come in agreement with him and let him have his way in our life. Now, as kingdom citizens, remember Paul said, when you got saved, God transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, our calling, our commission, our responsibility is to push back against the kingdom of darkness. We're to push back by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power to save and the power to heal and the power to deliver. That's our responsibility. It's our calling. And... Um, 
But this is where we all get all tripped up as Christians. We, we, we don't like that calling, right? We, we don't want to do that. We, we, we hate the word evangelism. Somebody works, mentions the words evangelism, you're like, no, 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 or sharing your faith, and you know, break out in a cold sweat and, and all these things. And um, so we just say something like, well, you know, I'll just let them look at my life, and, and they'll see how I live, and they'll want to live like me, and, and they'll come asking me, you know, what's the difference in my life? That may happen. But probably it's not going to happen a lot. Remember, the gospel is not about your life. It's about Jesus. Now, here's, the, here's where the push comes, is that we, we know the Bible says, okay, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. As I said last week, we don't like the word sin. That's a pesky little word we don't like. Um, you know, when my kids were growing up again, you know, when they did something wrong, I didn't say, Stacy, you little sinner, stop that. Marissa, you little sinner, stop that. You big sinner, stop that. I didn't, no, we, 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 that's not what we said, right? We didn't like to use that word. The word that society likes to use is the word mistake. I made a mistake. Because if I made a mistake, it's like um, I didn't do it intentionally. It was an accident. I'll try harder and better the next time. And uh, so you can't really hold me responsible for a mistake. I may break your lamp and pay for a new one and make restitution, but oh well, you know, it was just a mistake. Oops, you know, it, it's all fine and well. But when you use the word sin or sinner, now we're into a whole new category because sin indicates that I knew what I was doing and I was willful in what I was doing and, and I wanted to do that and, and I went for it. And so, you know, it's just, uh, here's the problem. If everything I do wrong can be dumbed down to a mistake, then I am a mistaker. It's not an English word. I made it up, but you get the point. Okay, which means I don't have sin, and if I don't have sin, I don't need a savior. I just need to try harder. I just need to do better the next time. Have you ever wondered why, when you go into Barnes and Nobles, there are racks and racks of books, those self-help books, because people are what we're mistakers and we need help. We acknowledge that, but you know we're 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 not really a sinner. And if all you are is a mistaker, all you, again, have to, you try harder, promise better, to do better the next time. Um, you know, I, I know, I just need to break those little nasty habits I have. I know that, I understand that, I get that. But if I'm a sinner, that seems to be more fundamental to who I am, according to Scripture, then simply, watch this, simply trying harder will not get the job done. If I'm a sinner, dead in my trespasses and sins, I can try as I might, I can't stop sinning. It is ingrained in me. It is a part of my nature. It is who I am. And I probably owe somebody something, and I probably deserve something, um, because trying harder isn't going to help me. And the fact is, if I was able to convince you that I was just a mistaker, <laughs> when I lay down my head on the pillow at night and the music fades, I know deep down in my heart that's not true. Man, there are some things that I've done that I wanted to do it, and, and I meant to do it. And in fact, not only have I done it in the past, I plan on doing it again in the future. And so I might be able to fool everybody else, but I really cannot fool myself. Something deep down in the human soul that knows there is something missing. And so 
Here's the deal. Until you embrace the fact that you are a sinner, you are not open to embracing the fact that God sent a Savior into the world and his name is Jesus and you need him. We are, we are people of fixers, right? We try to fix everything. And we're sure that, you know, if we can become the person who, we can just become the person who's going to make ourselves happy and content and, and complete and confident. And, you know, while we're breathing that, that scented smoke of our own betterment plans and plotting our independence and sovereignty, simultaneously what we're doing is we're taking those things and we are erecting them in our lives so that they become our gods, That's what idolatry is about. That replaces God because I believe that if I just have that, do that, become that, then I will have everything inside of me that is missing. It will all be filled back up. And, you know, I'm just like I'm in this process of uh, redoing myself like a makeover. But then there's those pesky little coping mechanisms we still have that we've been trying to break for years. Listen, Jesus came into the world and he brought the capability of enabling you to experience deep transformation. He didn't come into the world just to patch you up and make you a better version of you. He came into the world to absolutely transform your life. And the way he begins that process is by breathing life into you through his Holy Spirit And the signs and the wonders that Jesus performed while he was here on earth were simply pointing to the kingdom of God. He was bringing a little bit of heaven down to earth. So when he healed somebody, when he, you know, did an exorcism or whatever it is that Jesus was doing, even the teachings, they were proof positive that God was so full of love and so full of compassion for hurting humanity that God would move heaven and earth if necessary in order for us to experience as much heaven here on earth as we could possibly experience through his son, Jesus Christ. I love that. And so what he accomplished in, here in his ministry is not based on, wasn't based, watch this, on his divinity coming as God, although Jesus was fully God, never not fully God, but Jesus set aside the divinity card and he lives as a human being who was what? Anointed by, filled by, led by the Spirit of God. This is what, this is what the book of Acts says. So Jesus showed us how we, through a relationship with him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can also bring a little bit of heaven down here to earth so that others around us who are spiritually dead can experience resurrection power and experience not just the forgiveness of sin, but experience an absolute transformation of their lives so that those who are chained to their past and their you know, bent on uh, self-destructive behaviors, trying to deal with those issues of the past, and they can never move forward into their future. Jesus came to abolish all of that so that every one of us can experience so much transformation that, that Jesus can bring healing where we thought healing could never take place. He can enable you to forgive people you thought you could never, ever forgive, or you would never choose to forgive. 
And you can't do it on your own, but you can do it when you're surrendered under the power of the Holy Spirit. The series I'm going to do on Easter is probably one of the most, I don't know, I think it's probably one of the best series I've ever done in this church. And I'm going to let you... I'm going to let you go deep into my own personal life, and I'll be sharing some things I, I've never shared in public before because I want you to understand how Satan builds uh, this, this arsenal against you and how he, he can just kind of manipulate you and build strongholds in your life and your heart and your thinking pat, thought patterns and, and how he keeps us just like pinned down so that we never feel worthy of God's love. We never feel worthy of God's compassion. We never feel worthy of walking in freedom. And so we just keep dealing with the same old issues over and over and over and over again, just hoping that one day you're going to exit this world and we'll be with Jesus and it'll all be better. You don't have to wait till you exit from this world to be healed in your soul. That's a lie of the enemy. And we're going to, find, we're going to help you climb out of that pit because that's exactly where he wants you to stay. So what I want to do today is um, I want to kind of look at some, air, some ways in which we can prepare ourselves. We can prepare ourselves to be used of God to actually help other people experience radical change in their lives. You say, well, I haven't even experienced that yet. What are you talking about helping other people? Let me just tell you this. If you wait until you reach some level of perfection before you allow God to use you to help somebody else, you ain't never going to be used. Not a single one of us sitting in this room are perfect. Can I get an amen? Do not elbow your spouse. None of us are perfect. You will never experience perfection until you get to heaven. God is all about us making progress. You know, one of the reasons why we're offering this prayer and healing class, and I've shared this a couple of weeks ago, uh, just to kind of help you understand how all that unfolded, is simply because a few of us got together and started praying for one, one another, and we realized there were just issues of our soul that needed healing. And God brought that healing about as we're praying for one another. And God brought other individuals to us who were also struggling. We prayed for them, and they just got healed. They got set free, and God just set them free from imprisonment and from the coping mechanisms they were using to navigate through life. And some of them came a part of our prayer team, and it just became you know, a little bigger. So what we want to do is expand this. We believe, I believe, that every single believer who is indwelt by the Spirit of God can learn how to pray for people so that they can experience life transformation through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation, which is sozo, which means the power to save, heal, and deliver. It does not take a spiritually elite person for you to do this stuff, but it does take some training. It does take some knowledge, and you got to put it into practice, right? So I don't know why it is that no matter what you do out in the world, the more you practice it, the better you become, all right? So, for example, what if I got up the next tomorrow morning and said, you know what, I think I want to be in the Cirque du Soleil. I don't know what I can do, but, hey, I, you know, I'll, give it, I'll give it a shot. I'm about to do a backflip off that ladder here in a minute just to show you. Well, the only thing that would result from that is me breaking my neck 
for one thing. But, you know, even those who are in the Cirque du Soleil have spent countless hundreds and hundreds of hours perfecting what they do. But yet we come to the spiritual world and our walk with God and we think, well, you know, I got saved. It ought to automatically just all be downloaded and now I've just got it all right here, man. It's just like I don't have to practice anything. I don't have to do it. You know, it's like sharing your faith. You know, the first few times, it is so awkward, and it's like, you know what, I, I just don't feel like I'm doing this right, and I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing, and like, what are you going to do? Send them to hell number two? I, I don't get it. So, you know, I'm not sure it's going well. It doesn't matter. All you're doing is creating an environment for the Holy Spirit to do his thing, not you do yours. You know, when I was a, an equipper for EE, which is Evangelism Explosion, uh, you know, I, I had people that I was, you know, mentoring and, and equipping share the gospel backwards, right? It's like they started at the wrong end, and I thought, oh, gosh, this is a disaster, and a person gets saved. It's like, you don't have to worry about that. Man, when God unleashes the Spirit, listen, you've never saved anybody. I've never saved anybody. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. For example, when Peter was called by God to go to Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and so for, for a Jew to go to a Gentile was against, and to his home was against the law, and so God had to you know, drop the sheet and give him all the unclean animals and say they're now clean, and Cornelius has a vision, and Peter shows up on his doorstep. Now watch, as Peter is sharing his message about Jesus he doesn't even get done with the message. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius. He got saved and his entire family got saved. And Peter, if it had been us, we were like, wait, wait, wait. You can't be saved yet. I didn't get all the gospel out there yet. And we didn't pray the prayer. Right? So when the Spirit of God comes, man, and moves upon somebody, you just stand out of the way. It's like letting a, a caged lion out. Just let it do its thing. All right, so, so how, do we, how do we prepare ourselves? Well, let's look, look at a little uh, incident here in the book of Acts in chapter 8. You remember Philip is a, uh, Philip is a deacon in the church. He's a lay person. And uh, it says, let's start in verse um, 26 of Acts chapter 8. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to, to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man, the, the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? Well, how can I, how can I he says, uh, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. And this is out of Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and a, as a lamb before the shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began 
with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave him orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, a couple of things right off the bat. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. What is a eunuch? All right, so he was an official in the queen's court. So a eunuch means he's been castrated, okay? And the reason that was done back in those days is because there could not be any type of temptation between the queen and those who were working for her. Now, the only reason I point that out, because some of you fixate on that for the rest of the message, and I want to get that off your mind, right? So... Why would this guy go all the way from Ethiopia and, and still, you know, the present-day country of Ethiopia, all the way from there to Israel in order to worship? I mean, I think there's two things. Number one is there is a, there is a deep emptiness in his life. Now, although he's holding a very important position as a job and he has an important function in the queen's court, Uh, There's just something missing. There's an emptiness, and he's just searching for something. And so Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 3 and verse 11 says that God has has put eternity into the hearts of humanity. And and so he's just looking. But why all the way to Jerusalem? Well, remember, there is a movement of God going on in Jerusalem called the early church. God's Holy Spirit is moving in such a powerful and miraculous way that word has begun to travel around the world about this movement of God. And so this Ethiopian eunuch is probably thinking to himself, you know what, if there's a movement of God going on, and there's just, I just know there's something missing in my life, and whoever this God might be, because he was probably a worshiper of many gods, I'm going to go and I'm going to find out. Listen, it is important because if you're not current with God, if a church is not current with God, it can become a monument rather than a movement. The way that it becomes a movement is when the power of God shows up, all right? Because what happens when the power of God is void in a church? What happens when it's just not there? Not just this church or churches around our country, When the power of God is not there and the presence of God is not moving in a very powerful and dramatic way, what we do is we we get picket signs and we go out and we protest parades and we picket clinics and we do all these things that Jesus never instructed us to do. What he did instruct us to do is to walk in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing the Spirit of God to move through us in such a dramatic way that it creates a movement and the movement creates a stir. And anytime there is a movement of God, it will infiltrate and it will penetrate the lost world. Not because I picketed, not because I am boycotting something, but because the power of God is moving. So it's kind of like the church that Jesus wrote to in Sardis. He says, you know what? From the outside, you look really alive. From the outside, it looks like you're hitting on all cylinders. But what I want you to know is inside, you are dead. What do dead churches accomplish? Nothing. 
Nothing for the kingdom, nothing in, in, in furthering the kingdom. God has called us to further the kingdom. Jesus said, I'll build my church. He called us to, to move forward the kingdom. And Jesus said, you move forward the kingdom and I'll build my church. And so this is kind of the backdrop. So here's our big idea for the day is that God arranges, like he did with Philip, God arranges gospel appointments for those who are ready to respond to the Spirit's prompting. And so here is Philip, the angel of the Lord comes and says, hey, I want you to go here. And then it says uh, that the spirit, verse 20, and the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So in what? He's going to share the good news. The good news is the gospel. The church is to be a house of hope. And those who have the most hope have the greatest influence. So here's the first thing we need to do is we, we need to be where God wants us to be. I call it the, the physical readiness, to be physically where God wants you to be. Now, that may sound kind of funny, but you cannot influence someone for Jesus. You cannot talk about your faith if you're not in the right place, right? It might be that God needs a Christian, a follower of Jesus, to be in the realm of influence in this person's sphere of life. It might be that's where God put you in your neighborhood. It might be that's why God placed you in the job that you're in. It might be that this is why you go to certain restaurants and, and lo and behold, it's the same, uh, you know, same person waiting on you week in and week out. In other words, every single one of us have, have um, spheres of influence for which God can use us and Beyond that, it might be that you're on your way to work or you're on your way to, to run an errand and all of a sudden you get out of your car, you start into the grocery store, all of a sudden God's spirit just like stops you and says, mm, see that person over there? I, I want you to go and, and just, I want you to go and pray for them, right? Or I, I just want you to go and, and share a word of encouragement with them or I just, whatever it is that God wants you to do because God is stringing together a group of people who are going to help move that person's heart and soul towards receptivity of the gospel. But if we're going to tell people about Jesus, listen, it's hard to get out into the jungle if we only want to stay in the zoo. Right? If, we only want, if we only want to sit around tables and talk about the losses of humanity and the need of Jesus in people's lives, but we never actually get outside the walls and exercise it, it is a mute point. And again, it's not going to be comfortable. For many of you, it's going to be like, oh, I'd rather bite nails than do this. I just, I'm just asking you to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to say and how he directs you and guides you in connecting with people so that you are having influence over their lives. Number two is be aware of who God wants you to invest in. In other words, who is your one? And so God says to Philip, hey, right here, here's your man. Here's the person I want you to invest in right now. He's ready. And so you have two types of people around you. You have what I call red apples and green apples. Uh, green apples, I'm talking, about not, I'm talking about apples that aren't ripe, okay? So you have people in your, your influence, sphere of influence, people you work with, rub shoulders with, that just really don't care about God. They don't, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. They don't care about Jesus. You try to share faith with them, and it's like, 
It's like, you know, taking seed, as Jesus said, and throwing it on a path that's hard. They're hard-hearted. They don't care. They really don't care what you have to say. So how do I bust up that hard path, that hard heart that they have towards the gospel? You love them, and you love them some more, and you love them some more, and you say, but man, that, that requires, like, extra grace. They're not lovable. In fact, they're a pain in my you know what? I can't even hardly stand to be around them. It doesn't matter. That's what the love of God is all about. It begins breaking up the hardness of someone's heart. Do you know what, how Daniel won King Nebuchadnezzar? Because he just, he just served him. He loved him and he served him. This is the king who had his family probably killed. This is the king that took out Judah. This is the king that drug him off into captivity. This is the king who renamed him to a name of his own god, Belshazzar. And yet Daniel just kept serving the king and serving the king and serving the king until one day King Nebuchadnezzar's his heart, that hardness of his heart just got broke down and he came to the conclusion there is no other god but the god of Daniel. And so this is sometimes what we have to do is, is we, so you have those kinds of people in your life, but you, then you have other people who are what I call the red apples, and they're kind of they're like open to, so there are three times in people's lives when they are open and receptive to what God wants to do in their life, All right? Here's the first one, when they're under tension, when people are under tension, when they're, in stre- they're stressed out at work maybe, or there's a lot of stress at home, or maybe they're financially stressed out, maybe a spouse has died, or a child has died, or you know, a close family member, which creates tremendous amount of stress in their lives. And, and so during those periods of time, um, they, are, they are more open and receptive. Or when people are in transition, moving into a new neighborhood, having a child, uh, is a transition. They just got a new job, uh, something like that. Or maybe uh, when people are in trouble, right? They've lost their job. There's, there's difficulty in the marriage. There, things aren't going well, you know, with their children. Children are rebellion, or they're just not, they just can't seem to connect with their kids. And the more they try, the more the, the kids, you know, just rebel against them. There are all kinds of things. So when people are under tension, in transition, or in trouble, they are your red apples. These are the people whom, whose God has, who has kind of busted up the soil of their heart so they, they might be receptive to receiving the gospel of Christ. Now, it's not like you barge in there and have to give it to them all at one time. Now, you may have a one-time shot. I don't know. That's where you have to rely upon the Holy Spirit, okay? But if I'm in the right place at the right time, then God's going to give me opportunity to have influence upon that person's life. So here's the third one is you got to be ready to share your faith at any time. you got to be ready. to. This is the intellectual readiness. And so here's this Ethiopian eunuch. He's opened up the word of God. He's reading out Isaiah 53. He doesn't understand what he's reading, who it's about. And so Philip takes the time. He gets into the the chariot and he explains to them about how Jesus, the Messiah, has fulfilled this very prophecy of God. And so this guy's now, man, he's like giving his life to Jesus. He's been baptized as a confirmation to his life transformation. And this is the first African who would take the gospel back to Ethiopia. And it is 
conjectured, conjectured that it, it may be that he is the one who started the Ethiopian church in Ethiopia, which, by the way, is still in existence today. But obviously, he comes into Candace's court, and he is a great influencer himself. So let me ask you the question. How, would you be ready to share with somebody if God gave you the opportunity? All right, God puts you in the right place, the right time, with the right person, and says, here you go, man. They're yours. Share with them. Would you be ready? I hope so. So in my speedway, uh, in the next five minutes, here we go, right? How do you do that? Well, you can share your story, right? Share your story about, okay, so you have a salvation story, and, and whenever you, you're thinking about, okay, I want to share how I came to Jesus, it's like I always think B.C. cross A, you know, A.D., after, okay, so like B.C., this is before Christ, like what was my life like there? And, and don't use Christian words like I, gave, I asked Jesus to come in my heart. They don't understand that. That's like foreign to people. Or, you know, Jesus saved me again. You just say something like I, I had a, a life-changing experience. And my life-changing experience came through Jesus Christ. And since then, this is what God has done in my life. So that's just one story of many stories that I have how God has operated in my life. So I'm going to throw the three circles up here um, because you want to be ready to share your faith by sharing your story. And here's why the story is so important, because people are interested in your story. Um, they love to hear stories. People can relate to your story. It's hard to argue with your story. But if I say, you know what, I know what you're going through, and I haven't been through the exact same thing, but I want to tell you, I've been through something very, very similar. Might I just share with you how God walked me through that? You just open up a door to begin sharing about Jesus. Because here's why. This is what we call the three circles, and uh, that is God has an original design. Where do we find the original design? Genesis. Back in the beginning, right? This is my original design. Anything outside the original design is called sin. Sin leads to brokenness. Brokenness always results in coping mechanisms. This is why you can relate to people, because every single person is broken. It's just a question of where and what's their coping mechanism. The answer to brokenness is always the gospel that puts them on the pathway of recovery and back in that that relationship with God. And so you can use your story very effectively in unfolding that and saying, okay, you know what? Here's what I know when, when I meet people. I can talk to them, you know, and, and by the course of the conversation, it doesn't take long to figure out what a person's brokenness is. Or you can just ask if you might share your story about how you had a life-changing experience. You know what people love to hear? Stories about life-changing experiences. Because they probably have an area in their life, they need life-changing experience. So you just share your story. You know, I was broken. Here's how Jesus changed me. This is how it's been since. And so there are many different avenues you can travel for that. Now, when it comes to the gospel, what are you going to say? How, how are you going to share the gospel? Again, there are a thousand different ways you can do that. My, my big thing is stay in tune with the Holy Spirit and let him guide you and direct you in doing that, I'm going to give you two things that I do on a napkin. 
All right, actually, I do three. This is, the, this is one of them. But the two things that I do on a napkin when people, when I f- kind of figure out where people are, uh, so what's the first one's what's called the bridge illustration. And really, I use this when, um, when people are, are, are saying, well, you know, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? And what, what, what's the big deal about Jesus on the cross anyways? Right? So you can do this with one verse or multiple verses. You can take one verse, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. All right? So you just kind of explain, you know, here's God's original. I always take them back to God's original design. This is, this is where it all fell apart. Because people can relate with that. It's like, you know, this is... All right, so here's the deal is that, you know, when I, when, when I was born in this world, I was just missing something, and my heart was miserable. Here are the ways that I tried to cope with my life. Here's how I tried to deal with my painful past, and none of it was working, but I knew something deep down in my heart that there was something more out there than just what I saw in this world. And I came to the realization, like, I'm over here, and there's this God who created me, and he's over here, but for some reason, I can't get to him. I've tried, I've prayed and prayed, but it's like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. But then some, one day, God sent a group of people into my life, and they began to explain to me how Jesus came to bridge that gap between myself and God. And you can just start unpacking that, because, you know, I thought all of my life, well, if I'm going to get myself to God, then I've got to, you know, be a good person, I've got to do a lot of good things, and, and you know, or I've got to just be religious, or whatever it is for you, uh, but it didn't work, and said, the, the wages of sin, he says, is death. I, I realized that I was, I was dead spiritually, and I couldn't bring myself back alive. Can you resurrect yourself? Can you breathe life into yourself? No. You die, somebody else has got to do it for you, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's what God did for you. He sent Jesus to breathe life back into your lungs if you allow him. And you just kind of unfold that, that passage. That's one of them. Uh, another one is what I call the morality ladder. This is where people say, well, I don't really think I need God because I think I'm good enough. So I just, I just kind of draw a ladder, not like 3D, <laughs> but just like if you've ever seen my drawing. I still do stick people. Uh, so, yeah, I just draw the ladder with the rungs on the ladder. And I just say something like, you know what? That's a good thought. You know, let's just talk about that. How good do you have to be to to make it to heaven? So I say, let's let let this rungs on the ladder represent different people. Tell me, who would you put on the bottom? If this is like heaven, like God's on the top, and and this is like, man, this is like so separated from God. You know, the Bible talks about a place called hell. Who do you think would be on that bottom rung? What kind of people would be on the bottom rung? So close to hell, but you know, they're not there yet. Or should you just let them answer that? So they may, say, they may say a name. You know, it might be somebody who was a serial killer. It might be, you know, well, you know, people who are rapists and those who are ch- child molesters. And, you know, on and on they might go. And you say, you know, I just write it down on the paper. I just write it on the rung. You know, that's, that's a pretty good answer. Tell me, who, who do you think would be like on, on this rung up here? Like, you're not, they're not perfect, but they're really good people. And so they might say, well, you're my grandmother, uh, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, wh- whoever they might put up there, right there. And then, <laughs> for the sake of this morning, um, where would you put the person sitting next to you on that ladder? 
You'll put them here, here, here. I just ask him, hey, out of your family, where would you put them? Like your extended family. And usually it's usually they slot it in somewhere here. Now, the last question simply is, where would you put you? And more than almost always, they're like on this rung. Now, here's the deal. 80% of Americans believe that when they die, they're going to heaven because they're this far up on the ladder. And they believe because their good works have outweighed their bad, it's going to boost them to the top. But then I say, you know what? But that's what the Bible teaches is that only those who are perfect actually get to enter into heaven. And which you, now, now, this is where you get some really interesting answers from them. Well, what do you mean perfect? Nobody's perfect. You're right. Nobody is. And this is the power of the gospel. And I won't go into all of this. The only way you can boost from here up to here is through a person and his name's Jesus. Only he can perfect you. Only he can bring you to the top of that rung. Only he can enable you to enter into, into God's kingdom. And when he does, he begins this whole process of transformation in your life that will forever change you if you allow it. And so um, the morality ladder, whatever style, or you can just give an invitation, right? So that's the last one. Just give somebody an invitation, like a card. You know, you're inviting them to here to the Easter services because you love them, you care about them, you want to see them come to Jesus. Why? Why is this so important? And what is it that's really going to make us move forward in this? Where I'm going to, I'm going to have such love, such compassion for people, whether I know them or not, that I want to be used like Philip, you know, he's just kind of like minding his own business, and all of a sudden God puts him in the right place with the right person at the right time and gives him the right message for where that man is. I do not cookie cutter how I share my faith necessarily. I let the Holy Spirit kind of guide that, and you can too, because the Spirit says he will bring to your mind, your heart, what it is you need to say. Okay, so... How do I transition into this? All right, I'm going to take my shirt off, but I trust me, I got clothing on underneath, okay? <laughs> I, I think there's a belief that we have to have if we're ever going to move forward with the gospel, okay? And, in, and if you don't have this belief, then you'll probably never be used of God to share your faith. You'll skirt around it. You, you, will, you, you, you will come up with ex excuses. It's always going to be somebody else's job, somebody else's responsibility, but you have to believe. Hold on. I do have clothes on. Right? You better hope I have clothes on anyway. Talk about clearing out an audience. You got to believe Jesus is enough. There ain't nowhere else to go. There is no other person under heaven by which we are saved. There is no other person who can take a dead man and bring them back to life, or a dead woman or a dead child, and bring them back to life. There is no other person who can set people free who are chained to their past, filled with hurt and anger and bitterness and resentment and everything else that goes along. There's only one person who can deliver you 
once and for all from the coping mechanisms that you've relied upon all of your life. There is one person and one person only, and that is Jesus, and he is enough if you learn how to tap into the spiritual blessings that he came to secure for you and for those who are outside the kingdom. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I'm so grateful for um, those individuals to whom you uh, sent into my life to allow me to experience the, the greatest relationship that I could have ever experienced in this world. And Lord, and that's saying a lot because I've, I've had some tr have tremendous relationships, but nothing compares to my relationship with Jesus. So I thank you for those precious saints of God who invested in me, who saw potential in me, who refused to give up on me. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would have the same mindset with those around us. That we just won't give up. We'll just be tenacious like a bulldog and we'll just keep sharing and loving and helping people find Jesus. That we will allow the Holy Spirit to operate through us that he might display himself and signs and wonders and miracles that the raw power, uh, Father, of you might be displayed here on planet Earth. That a little bit of heaven will come down and people will be able to taste of you and know that you are good, and that you are loving and you're kind and you're gracious, and that you want us to walk in the forgiveness and the freedom of Jesus Christ. So I pray, oh God, that we as your saints will allow the Spirit to equip us to be used of him, to be at the right time, the right place, the right time, the right person with the right message. And we would be willing to open our mouths and share Jesus. That you might fill your house with worshipers who are worshiping you in spirit and in truth.